Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I did a wedding yesterday, and afterwards I spoke to a woman who's a school teacher up in Cape Coral. And she was telling me about how she is in contention with her school board. And maybe because, or maybe, um, maybe beyond that, maybe the whole state, because they have knocked out world history. And, and I told her about David McCullough, who is this magnificent author of so many historical books that, uh, and he in, indicated about five years ago that schools, colleges, universities were eliminating history from their curriculum. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, if we haven't learned from the events of, the rec- of recent years that, how, uh, that, that history is essential to our understanding of life and, and the nature of things, not everything can be math. Right, Bill? I mean, we know. <laughs> That's why we're in the ministry. You know, the story is that we, we can't do anything else, so we end up doing this. But um, so the lessons of history can so easily be lost. I've shared with you before how I buried Jack Sims, and out at the cemetery, here comes some uh, cadets from the, from the Air Force for a 21-gun salute, and I said, guys, come over here. That is one of the Doolittle Raiders. He was number two off the deck after Jimmy Doolittle. And they said, what's that? History that we learn. We're not the first to forget about history. We're not the first to not learn. And maybe it's one of those cyclical things and it has, the pendulum has to swing until we become students again. But in... 63 B.C., the scribe, pardon me, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees were locked in an ideological civil war. They were fighting hard with each other. It's kind of like Democrats and Republicans. They were not giving any ground at all to each other. And as they fought, here's Rome watching as they're involved in their own little squabbles. And Rome comes in, takes over. The occupation of Rome began in 63 BC. Because of their internal fighting, they failed to recognize the realities of foreign threats. And lest we forget, our unity matters as a nation, as a people. Our unity is so critically important. The Apostle Paul speaks of unity as a value above all others and talks about those who are bringing division to the church as the greatest threat to the church. So yes, we have to be unified as a people. We have to find that common ground. This is one of the reasons why we do our issues hour. So we're free to talk and disagree and still love each other on the far side of it. But the people of God, they didn't learn We don't learn until we go through some trauma, and it's so typical of 
the human race, of all of us. So the Romans come in, they take over, they take over the, the governance as well. And they have puppet governors. We know that word, Herod. We know that name painfully well. And then even the religious authorities realize that they have to bow to this. And so we have in the first century at the time when Jesus comes along a, 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 a truly detested element in their communities. These were the Romans, the Roman soldiers. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus finished saying these things to his people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to come help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, for he loves the Jewish people. And he even built a synagogue for us. And so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are. My servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority, under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go. Come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. When the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Faith is not an event. Faith is not a moment. It is a lifestyle. Something got into this particular centurion. He was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. Something got into him. Here he was as an officer overseeing his community, making sure that their taxes were coming in and making sure that things were peaceable. And he apparently fell in love with the people. He apparently came to a point where living among the Jewish people, he came to respect their way of doing things their ways of life. Apparently, he came to a place where he was actually replicating the way they lived and understood the need to care for each other and watch out for each other. And, and the values that, that he was observing in that community were beginning to seep down into his heart. And at one point there... In that little town, the, the people were going to 
build a new synagogue for themselves, and he pitched in. He did what he could. He may have even gotten some Roman money to help out. And this is a Gentile. This is a Roman. This is one of the enemy. This is an occupying force. And when he has a servant who falls ill, he asks some of those religious authorities to go and represent him. They go, and they, they go to Jesus. Jesus hears about this, and he starts on his way, as he does so often. And when this centurion finds out that Jesus is on his way, he sends some of his people to encounter him and say, I'm not worried that I have you come into my home. I'm I'm a Gentile. Coming into my home may defile you. I'm under authority. I know how it is. And I'm in authority. I know how it is. I get the word and I do what I have to do. I say the word and it gets done. And so he says, just say the word. And I know he will be healed. Notice the profound nature of this man's faith that I have to believe was nurtured over a long period of time for him to fall in love with those of his community that he is to occupy. How often do we, when we're in a struggle, ask that question, where is God? And here Jesus is coming, and this centurion already knows his actual presence there doesn't matter. For him to see and experience the presence of Jesus is not what he's requiring. Somehow he's gotten into his own faith structure, his own spiritual infrastructure. The God who made the world is the God they worship. And the Bible promises 25 times minimum, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. So this man's faith, this centurion, this soldier, this Roman, Jesus hears about this and he sees what is going on. He said, I've not seen this kind of faith anywhere among you people. It's almost like, I was going to say, it's almost like a Baptist came in. No, I won't say that. (laughs) But somebody who's very foreign, somebody who's an outsider, And Jesus commends his faith, this soldier. Our nation's had sometimes good times, sometimes bad times in recognizing the sacrifice that those men and women make who sign up for duty. And let's face it, when the time comes for them to start to serve, they're kids. 18 years old. Remember, I've told you the story about this one man who was on the beaches of D-Day, and when Peter Thomas gave his 
commemoration here and Thomas is on his way out and he steps out on the aisle and says, Peter, we need you to be there that day. That man was 16 years old on the beaches of Normandy during D-Day. He lied to get into the service. They're kids. They don't know what they're doing, what they're getting into. They think, well, if I sign up, I get to go to Japan. <laughs> One of our veterans Paul Johnson, who would love to be here, but he, he and his wife are up in Minneapolis. He was on his way to Japan on a ship in the Navy when the war ended. So, of course, from that point on, he credited himself with the victory over Japan. They knew he was coming, so they immediately surrendered. Kids, they don't know what they're doing, but they go. And then they do what they must. They listen to those who are in authority over them, and they do what they must. And they know to not do that could mean their lives and the lives of those around them. And so they, they respond. They respond to circumstances and situations that are requiring them to get creative and do what they have to do in order to stay alive. And what a shame that when our veterans came back from Vietnam, when they left behind, many of them, arms, legs, sanity, sobriety, a sense of internal peace, that they were met, so many of them, as they were here Many spoke of being spat upon. Veterans, those who served. And when we think about the 20th century and the wars of our nation, I know of one veteran born in 1921, born on a farm in Wisconsin. In 1921, as we know, the Spanish flu was out there, kind of a common pandemic to what we're in. Born into that era. And at seven years old, within one week of each other, both brothers died. One of five, both brothers died. Two brothers died. And then, of course, the nation went into a depression. And because they were on a farm, they had people coming almost every day. And, of course, they shared meals with people who were hungry, who came by to see if at that farm they had something they could, they could eat. And then when the war broke out, this person volunteered, went into the Navy, and actually was stationed over here in Miami and soloed an airplane. Mom was a lieutenant. My dad said that because she outranked him, he had to salute her often. <laughs> but her story is one that is common with so many. So many who served during the Second World War came fresh out of the Depression. And all they did was go and serve. 
They just went and did what they could, and many, of course, never came back. These who, who serve. Now, I, I was so privileged to accompany Rich Pettingill, our dear brother, who was veteran of Korea. And on the way, I said, I don't know why I'm going, I, and I didn't do anything. Every veteran I've ever talked to is about the same way. But he was so appreciative, particularly of that trip and those who served. And during that, during that time, when we stopped in Arlington Cemetery, our two buses, we had on our bus two Gold Star families, pairs of parents, and there were some other Gold Star families in the bus in front of us. The buses stopped in close proximity to where their sons were buried. And as they got out of the bus, the front bus and from our bus, these parents ran to the graveside. They ran to be where their son's remains were laid. For those veterans who survived, it could have been them. They didn't know when they went in. They're just living life like the rest of us. Next thing they know, they're, they're gone. I remember I was on the Lower East Side of Manhattan playing basketball. We had a radio going at, under one of the posts that held the goals. And we were listening because they were making the roll call of those who were being drafted that year by birthday. And so when it got to be October, mid-October, I stepped aside and, and listened. And the radio declared that I was number 212 out of 365. I was relieved and I kept playing. But I have to say, with all of the regrets that I have in my life, one of the regrets that I have is having not served. So great has my respect for those who have served billowed out over time. So those who have served, we are very deeply, profoundly grateful even though it may not be that big a deal to you. It's huge to us. And about seven years ago, we had two young men stand in front of this congregation on July 4th weekend. And they were heading off, one to the Army and one to the Marines. So we had all the veterans who were in, in the service at that time come up. <laughs> just, just kids, barely 18 years old scrubbed faces and, you know, their mom was out there. They were so happy to be here. And as we did a prayer, remember Philip looked over his shoulder, and here's the governor of Florida with his hand on his shoulder. Rick Scott was here that day. And those two and that family will never forget the send-off that this little church gave them and the humility of their governor pray on their behalf.
So this man was a soldier. This man was a centurion. And when Jesus encountered him, he declared great faith. Greater faith than he had seen in all of Israel. And when Jesus died, at the cross were those soldiers who cast lots for his garments. The soldiers had done what the Roman authorities insisted that that they do, and that is to drive the nails through the wrists of his hands and through the arches of his feet into the cross. They did their duty. They did what they needed to do. As painful as it was, they watched. Not knowing, perhaps, who this man was that they had crucified, but they watched as he struggled to breathe by pushing up against and pulling up against the nails in order to exhale for six hours. And then one of those soldiers went and sent a spear into his side and outflowed both water and blood, indicating that that spear had penetrated our Savior's heart. And so the pericardium had been, had been penetrated and so outflowed the water around the heart along with the blood. Then lightning struck, and the ground trembled. It was reported later that the, that the drapery that separated the holy and holies from the rest of the world was torn from top to bottom. And everyone watched, and it was a centurion, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, an enemy, an occupier, an outsider who declared truly this man was the son of God. The first believer after the crucifixion was a soldier. So we honor you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Dear God, neither are we worthy to have you in our home, but you are here. And you come to us with regularity. And you promise never to leave us or forsake us. And so we are grateful, O Lord, despite our unworthiness. And we thank you also especially for those who serve to protect us and to stand over and to stand in the the gaps so that we might continue to be a land where men and women are free. We give you thanks and praise in the name of your Son, our Savior Christ, Jesus, our Lord. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. 
Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.